Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. I'm so thankful you're here today. Um, It is a communion week, so I'm hoping you got the elements for that so that as we wrap up this morning, we can approach the Lord's table together and give thanks. Uh, But I appreciate you being with us. Uh, For us as a church, you know that our mission really is for us to experience new life in Jesus. And we think that that happens when we're together here on a Sunday, where we think not just that Jesus gives us a new perspective as we open scripture and as we worship him, but we think more than just perspective that he renews, he shifts and changes, transforms our very affections, our hearts. And so that's why we come together on a Sunday. And we think that a part of the byproduct of that is that with it, we get a new perspective that we find ourselves being driven headlong into the mission of God for the world that we live in. And all of that is our desire to become more and more like Jesus, to find ourselves experiencing renewed life in Christ. And we think we do that together in a community. So I'm so thankful that you're a part of this community uh, because now you're seeing the Christmas decor around. There are some Christmas things for you to be aware of. And one that I'll just mention again is that Christmas Eve, we're going to do at Old Poway Park once again as a service to the community. Um, we don't really advertise it even as a thing for our church. We don't use it as a church growth strategy at all. We use it just as a way for us to serve our neighbors, and we advertise it as such in the community. So I hope that you'll plan on joining us on that s- Sunday afternoon uh, from 2 to 3. We'll be at Old Poway Park. There is a rumor that the churro guy who's, uh, you know, yeah, is right. He's that good that, oh, yeah, that he'll be back with us, and so you'll have double reason to celebrate on Christmas Eve. Uh, one of the reasons I mention that, though, is not just because it's coming, but really because for us as a church, we've made it a goal for us uh, to be community-oriented, thinking about those outside of our church. And so part of that is what we do for the community in several different ways, like you just heard about Life Choices or us hosting our service at Christmas Eve at Old Poway Park as a community service, or even uh, our church supporting our city with me functioning as a chaplain in the city, as a part of my weekly rhythm, as a way that our elders felt like we could steward our resources, both of time and finances, uh, to serve those around us, which has been great. And then you've seen, if you've been here for long, that we try to do things even with other churches in the area. Our Good Friday service is typically a worship gathering with three other churches that look very different from us in some of their theology and practices, but who share their love and passion for Jesus, share a love and passion for Jesus that we have. And so we get together with them. All that to say that our goal is to be thinking about others outside of here and not to become so tribal that everyone that we would partner with has to look and think exactly like us. Because we think the kingdom of God is much bigger than us. And so a part of that is things that our elder team has been praying about for the last couple of years. And and we wanted to find ourselves in a tribe without functioning tribally, without functioning as only uh, rubbing elbows and shoulders and partnering with people who think really exactly like we do, um, but believe that we should run in a tribe because I think that it's important for us as a church to have accountability and friendship with other churches. And if you've been around here, maybe since the church was planted like 13 years ago, uh, you know that the roots of this church were Calvary Chapel with Pastor Scott Gurman planting this church. Uh, He has a Calvary background. And even for me, I grew up the the kid of a Calvary planter uh, and then have always worked in Calvary chapels. And so our church at the beginning of the year, after the elders took a year to pray about it, joined CGN, it's Calvary Global Network, and that is now the tribe we run in. And again, we 
Our goal is not to become tribal, but it's to run in a tribe because we think friendship and accountability is great. And we also think that we can accomplish more when we join arms and put our shoulder together behind things like church planting. And that's what we're wanting to do alongside of CGN. So I've got friends that I've been so excited uh, for you as a church to introduce you to. And, and you've met some of them, like Mike Neglia, who I know many of us are fond of. And I'm going to introduce you to one of my friends and Mike's friends. Uh, his name is Clay Worrell. And Clay and his wife Janelle planted a church in Waterford, Ireland years ago. And then have since pastored a church here stateside. And he works with CGN. Uh, with the team of people that are casting a vision for the future, specifically about a future that involves church planting and health in churches and this and the movement of God moving forward through this network, which I think is very exciting. So I'm excited this morning to have uh, Clay with us and for you to get to know he and his family today. So why don't you welcome Clay? Thank you, Trevor. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here. What a great introduction. Yeah, so my name is uh, Clay, and um, I serve as the executive director of Calvary Global Network, and, and man, I'm going to just bring him everywhere I go to introduce the, the heart behind being a part of something bigger than yourself, because that's exactly it. Um, and I want to share a little bit about CGN with you guys. I'll, I'll save that for the end, though, because I'm much more excited to get into the Word of God with you. Because um, that's what we're here for. So if we have time, I'll talk a little bit about the vision of the network and what you guys are a part of. It's, a, it's an awesome thing to work together with the larger body of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, but uh, yeah, we have a long history with the O'Keefe family. Um, my wife, Janelle, is back there. Um, we moved to Ireland in the early-ish aughts. And uh, Jimmy O'Keefe, Trevor and Casey's dad, is... Um, one of the first people that I met there. They were there on a short-term mission trip, and I don't think he would mind me sharing the fact that one of the first times we met, he actually yelled at me and rebuked me um, because I was like 21 years old and really foolish and zealous, and he was there with a group of youth kids, and I was trying to break the rules. But um, from that point, uh, he became one of the, the, the just strongest and most consistent encouragements to us as we were church planting um, and Casey and I were in Bible college 15, plus, no, almost 20 years ago together. God, ooh, it's crazy. So anyway, um, we love that family so much, and, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. So let's, let's read the Word of God together. If you would stand with me and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 16 through 20 and um, talk about the Great Commission this morning. Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. As Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to gather here this morning around your word and acknowledge that it is authoritative in our lives. 
and that you are a living God that desires to speak to us through your word, whether the passage is something we've read hundreds of times or something we're reading for the first time. God, your spirit ministers to our hearts through your living word. So I pray that that would happen this morning as we talk about this important theme, this topic, Lord, this commandment that we have from you, this commission. So we give this to you. Uh, We want to hear from you with uh, open minds and humble hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So uh, Janelle and I have two lovely daughters. Uh, Willow is 11 years old and Winnie, excuse me, is 10 years old. And um, they're the joy of my life. They're really good girls. We love them a lot. But I've got something to share with you about them that may shock you, especially those of you who are parents. Um, That is that they're not perfect children. They disobey sometimes. There's times when, when Janelle or I or both of us give them an instruction and they think that they know better than us. Or they think that they have something more important. I mean, this happened like five times today, right? Or something more important in their little worlds than, than what we're telling them <clears throat> to do. So they disobey. Or they delay in obedience. And we have a saying in our household, if those of you who have young kids, it's helpful if you don't use it already. We say delayed obedience, and our ch- children call back to us, is disobedience. And so when they delay in their obedience or when they disobey, um, my wife and I, we remind them that when we ask them to do something, it's not actually a suggestion. When we tell them to do something, it's not up for discussion. Obedience to us, their parents, is not optional. Why? Because I'm the dad and because Janelle's the mom and because God has given us authority over our children. And when there's authority, a command is not an option. It's a command, right? The same principle applies for those of us who are still in the workforce, right? If you have a boss at work who asks you to do something or tells you to do something, and you decide, well, I don't really feel like doing that right now, and you don't do it, well, you're going to be in trouble. If you do that as a pattern, I think you're probably going to lose your boss. This is the principle of authority. This is how authority works. So this morning, we're looking at the Great Commission, right, from our Lord. And as we begin, I want you to notice what Jesus begins this passage by telling his disciples. There in verse um, uh, 18, it says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Friends, this statement of Jesus about his authority puts this command in context. Jesus, the eternal Son of God incarnate, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, is giving an instruction, a commission to his followers. I wanted to start with that principle, that this this is not a suggestion this morning. I think it was Hudson Taylor who said for the first time something that's been repeated many times. He said, it's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. So I want to approach this foundational passage with that in mind. This is the definitive and authoritative call from Christ on his disciples. 
I don't know if you're anything like me though, but when I come to commands or instructions, it's difficult, even understanding this principle of authority, it's difficult for me to mindlessly obey anything. I've got that type of personality that if somebody gives me a rule, I want to understand why I'm going to adhere to that rule or everything in me wants to break it. Now, in the process of sanctification with the Lord, there's times I don't understand and I submit to him anyway. Why? Because of that principle of authority. But what I love about the Lord is that in Scripture, as he reveals himself to us, he really, in my experience, never gives us mindless commands. He never asks us to do something because I said so. He's a God that reveals himself to us through the whole counsel of his word. And part of the joy of studying the Bible is, is discovering the why behind the things that God calls us to and the things that he says. So I want to approach this passage with that in mind today. I want to ask the kind of four questions that I ask of most everything that I'm told to do. And that is why, who, what, and how. So that's how we're going to break it down. I'm going to, I'm going to, if you're taking notes, we're going to go through those four questions and I'm going to give a simple or abbreviated answer and then expound on it a bit. So you can write that down. It might help you to remember some of the stuff if you ever want to return to it. So a simple answer and then expound on it. My, my hope is by the end of our time this morning, each one of us will have a renewed passion for obedience to the great commission from our Lord. Amen. Okay, so why? Why did Jesus give this commission? The simple answer, my, my understanding, the simple answer is because the world is full of broken people. So why did God give this commission? Because the world is full of broken people. Let me um, give you like four scriptures that kind of backs this up. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. You'll be familiar with most of these, most likely. Um, it's quoting Psalm 53, 3, where it says, None is righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death. And then Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way to death. That paints a pretty bleak picture of the natural state of humanity. Everybody sins. The wages of sin is death. Everybody dies. There's a way that seems right to us. That way ends in death. And these verses may be familiar to you. Maybe you've used them in the past in sharing the gospel to have the starting point, the bad news before the good news. But, but the truth is, is this isn't just something that we see in Scripture. This is an observable truth in the world. And I don't just want to paint a picture of some, some theoretical thing, but think about the state of the world today. Think about the division. Think about the wars. Think about the natural disasters. Think about the anger and the outrage and, and, my, and the fear that occurs in the world we're living in today. Goodness gracious, friends, if you start your day by looking at the news on your phone or on TV, I feel sorry for you because, man, is that a bleak way to start your day. This world is chaotic and it's broken and it's hurting. 
Not only is it observable in this world, but think about this a little bit more personally this morning. Take a moment with me to think about perhaps acquaintances in your life or friends or family members or maybe even you yourself who is being actively impacted by the brokenness of the world. Perhaps there's addiction in the life of somebody who you love. Perhaps there's bitterness. Perhaps there's mental illness or sickness or, or, or loss or tragedy. I can almost guarantee that every person sitting in this place today can think of somebody, if not yourself, who is suffering right now. You know, a little over a year ago, just over a year ago, one of my, my closest friends, his name's Keith Fortenberry, pastor in Germany, in Heidelberg. Um, we've been friends for a very long time. It was a Sunday evening, and he was, he was on his way home from dinner after church. And the roads were wet. He lost control of, of his vehicle, and he crashed over a year ago. And to this day, Keith is in and out of critical condition. He's not able to speak. He sustained massive brain damage. He's got a nine-year-old son, Aslan, and a wife, Besta, who, who haven't been able to communicate with her husband and, and his father apart from blinking eyes for over a year. That is not okay. There's nothing that's right about that. This world is broken. People are suffering. The truth is, friends, is none of these things are God's doing. God didn't do that to Keith. This is a product of sin that leads to death and a broken world that's been broken by sin. Friends, this is why the gospel is so essential, so powerful, and so important. Because when we face suffering and brokenness and chaos, there is no political answer. There's no scientific discovery. There's no technological advancement. There's no amount of positive thinking that can fix this broken world and make suffering and death okay. It all falls short. The only hope for the world is the reality that God so loves this world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The only hope for the world is the Gospel. The truth, friends, is Jesus Christ came into this world of darkness this broken and chaotic world as the light of God to face the suffering and the brokenness as a full human being. To live a life free of sin, a life that does not deserve death, only to be betrayed and falsely accused and beaten and mocked and tortured and ultimately put to death on a cross. A death that he did not deserve. The death that I deserve. The death that we deserve. 
And then on the third day, he was raised from the dead and he conquered sin and death and the devil once and for all so that now anyone who places our faith in him and receives him as the rightful Lord of our lives are forgiven and healed and made right and given the promise of eternal life. This is the only thing This living hope, as 1 Peter talks about, this is the only thing that offers comfort and hope in a broken and hurting world. So friends, why did Jesus commission us to go and make disciples of all nations? Because he is the only hope for the world. This is what the reading of of, um, Advent was this morning, this hope. So thank God for that. Why? That's a pretty compelling why, right? Amen? Okay, you guys are good. Okay, so who? Question number two. Why? Because the world's broken. The gospel's the answer. Who? Who is this commission for? It's a good question. It's a really simple answer for this. If you're writing down notes, the answer is write down me. You. You don't write down you. You write down me. I'm going to say you and me. This is getting confusing. If you're a Christian here today, friends, the commission is for you. It's as simple as that. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, I don't want to assume everybody is. Um, I would say it's still for you. I would simply say that, that God is calling you to faith in Jesus, to that hope we just talked about. Freedom from the chaos. Maybe not circumstantially, but eternally. And I would say, hey, today's a great day to accept Christ, become a Christian, and then guess what? This commission is for you. So this commission is for you. Let's look back at our text, verse 16 and 17. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, back to the beginning, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, pay attention to this, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, First of all, who, who is Jesus talking to when he's up there on the mountain and giving this commission? He's talking to his disciples, his followers, right? Isn't it interesting to think that the author includes this detail that some doubted? Was that just to throw shade? Was that like a personal thing? I, I, don't, I don't think so. And I also don't think anything in the word of God is accidental or coincidental. I think it's to tell us something. I think it's interesting that even though it notes that they worshiped him, but some doubted, when Jesus gives gives the great commission to his disciples, he does not say, hey, those of you who are not doubting in this group, you go and make disciples. He calls the disciples equally. He commissions them equally. So what do we take from that? Friends, hear me when I say this. The great commission is the universal calling on all followers of Jesus, and it is not contingent on your level of holiness or your momentary feelings or a certain level of faith or a point in your sanctification. Whether you're struggling or not, the call to make disciples is simply on disciples of Jesus. The same grace that saves you is the grace that sends you. And it's that same grace that you're called to share with others. And let me just say, I am so thankful for that. 
Because I know me, and if it was dependent, if my calling to follow Jesus, to, to serve Him, and to make disciples was dependent on my faith, at any given moment, I would not be standing in front of you today. If you're saved, you're sent. Jesus is calling you. Okay, so we've got the why, because the world is broken, the gospel is the only hope. Who? This commission's for you and it's for me. Now what? What are we commissioned to? The simple answer, if you're writing this down, is to make disciples of Jesus. You probably could have figured that out. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What does this mean to, to make disciples? What, what even is a disciple? That's one of those words that you could probably define, but we've used it so many times that it's, it's helpful to come back and, and give a, a fresh definition. I, I think my simple definition, or simply put, a disciple is a full life follower of Jesus. Um, the actual definition is a disciple means a learner or an apprentice. It's somebody that would go along. And our closest English word that we use today is, is apprentice. A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, a disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice who is on a journey to become like the teacher, Jesus Christ. So friends, the call is to disciples, full life followers of Jesus, that's us, to make disciples full-life followers of Jesus. This means our charge is to follow Jesus and to bring people along with us on the journey of following Jesus. Jesus does get a little bit more specific in the call here, though. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I love the Trinitarian reference there. I could go on about it, but I won't. The first step to becoming a disciple is believing and being baptized. So in light of that, the first step of making disciples is proclaiming the gospel so that one might believe and be baptized. Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 13 through 15, I'll read it in a second. This is a passage that God used in my life to call me to ministry in the first place, to call me to Ireland, to church planting, all the things that, that God has, by his grace, um, done through us. This was one of those crucial passages, and I love it because it just makes such simple, logical sense. Paul writing, he says this, Romans 10, 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved... How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's really simple. The first step in making disciples is telling people about Jesus is simply sharing the gospel. If we don't, who will? And friends, just to challenge us a little bit, if, 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 we say we if we believe what we say we believe this morning, if we really believe that, that we have the, the truth, the good news, the message 
that makes the difference of whether somebody is eternally secure in living life with God or separated from him forever. Or, or to be even more immediate, someone who... We have the, the message that brings actual freedom and eternal life now versus, versus the destruction and chaos of this world. If we really believe that, how do we not feel the urgency to tell everybody who we have opportunity to tell about it? I oftentimes forget that urgency and I need a reminder and a reality check that, hey, this is, this is the most important thing in the world. I, I remember seeing a short clip a number of years ago on, on YouTube. I looked it back up as I was preparing for this message by a guy named Pin Gilliatt. Um, I may be saying his name wrong, but he's a, a, a movie writer and producer and an actor. He's got like long curly black hair. I don't expect you to know who he is, but, but he's a very outspoken atheist. And he's got a YouTube channel that is focused primarily on his, you know, atheism, I think. I haven't watched a lot of it. But one of his fans um, who watched him on, on YouTube sent him a Bible. And this guy's been really critical towards Christianity. And he did a video response to receiving this Bible from his fan. And I would expect him to be like, oh, you idiot, why did you send me this? You're such a fool, so on and so forth. But his response to receiving a Bible surprised me. And this is just a, a little quote of what he said. He said, I don't respect Christians who don't proselyze or share their faith. And he said, he's essentially thanking this person for sharing the the gospel with him. He says, how much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and to not tell them that? I'll tell you what, when I heard that, that struck me in the heart. Out of the, out of the mouth of an atheist. So friends, I'm not saying that we need to be obnoxious with, with you know, a bullhorn on, on the street corner. I'm not saying you need to be that person that will only talk about Jesus and that's all you can talk about because that tends to close people off because it gets annoying. But here's what I am saying. I'm saying I believe that if we understand the urgency and if we really believe what we say we believe and ask God on a daily basis to open doors for us to tell people about Jesus, he will open those doors and he will give us opportunity to share the gospel. And I just want to remind myself and us this morning to ask God and to look for those doors. So step one is making, and making disciples is sharing the gospel, but it doesn't stop there. You may have heard it said um, from a pulpit before that it's the Great Commission is to make disciples, not to make converts, right? That's one of those things pastors love to say. And that's founded because Jesus says, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on and he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the second half of making disciples is, yes, bringing them to Jesus, but then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the bottom line of discipleship. A disciple is a full life follower of Jesus. So the question is, is how do people learn how to follow Jesus? Well, we already kind of talked about it. It's by learning with and from others who are following Jesus. 
Friends, God gave us his, his word, like I was saying earlier, his authoritative truth. He reveals himself to us. It's such an amazing gift. He gives us, gave us the spirit of God, his spirit who is alive within us, that guides us into all truth. But the context of being guided in that truth and learning from the word of God and walking in that truth is never, scripturally speaking, is never individualistic. It's never something God calls us to do on our own. You just won't find it in Scripture. The triune God, who's eternally existed in a community of three, created us for loving, worshiping community on mission. And sin's actually what broke that with selfishness and pride and and individualism. But then God saves us back to community, to the family of God, to the body of Christ, to the flock of God, to the household of faith. This is the language that's used about what we are saved to in Scripture. The reality is is that the the modern or or postmodern Western church, or whatever we are now, I think we're we're past postmodern. I don't know what that's even called. But the church that I grew up in, as I became a, faith, a Christian as a, as a young teenager, and the church today, seems to be rather influenced by the individualism of our Western culture, and that's, I think, made its way into the church. And I think it's dangerous and damaging. When I was a young Christian in the late 90s, um, it was all about your personal relationship with Jesus. Do you remember that? I think it's still a thing. And, and let me qualify this very carefully in saying that I'm not against a personal relationship with Jesus. You do have an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus. But, but my experience, at least, growing up in youth groups in, in the early, late 90s, is there was such an emphasis on the personal relationship with Jesus that whether it be subconsciously or not, it communicated to, to me and others that, that my faith is all about just me and God rather than being a part of the family of God that's following him together. Nowadays, I think it's taking a slightly different form, this influence of individualism. Um, you are probably familiar with this whole trend of deconstruction that's happening in the church today. Um, Perhaps you know somebody, it's usually younger people who are deconstructing their faith. And what they're saying is that they need to lay aside all of the, 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 the spiritual baggage of the institutional church or of, you know, the church in general, whatever, and they need to figure out, deconstruct everything about their faith and then just them and God figure it out what, what they believe. And I think in their minds, they're keeping the baby and dumping out the bathwater of the church. But the reality is, friends, is according to Scripture, the church is part of the baby. Because remember, the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. So to say you want Jesus and not the church is saying you want to disembody Jesus. It just doesn't work. The church is the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the bridegroom. 
And, and those of you who are married here today would understand that if somebody comes up to you or somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I think you're really great. I want to be friends with you, but I want nothing to do with your wife or your husband. I don't like them. I think they're weird, but let's be best friends. Is that going to fly? If you're nodding your head, yes, I, we need to talk afterwards. No, it's... We're one in flesh. This is my best friend. Friends, I know that church is messy. I know that church, um, church hurt is real. I know that if you've been a part of a church for any amount of time at all, you've probably been hurt by people in the church or by the church itself. But, but I, I can tell you right now, and, and listen, I, my ministry nowadays is, is leading a global network of churches. That means I see the, the grossest parts of churches across the globe, and the best as well. And I can tell you right now that Jesus is not done with the church. And just because there's times when the church is broken or dysfunctional, it doesn't mean we get to disown it. It's like if your weird cousin shows up at the family reunion. Some of the church is like that. But let me tell you something. God's not done with the church, and he's calling us to make disciples, and the context for discipleship is always in the community of faith. It's always in the church. I'm glad you're here. If you're like here for the first time after months and you're like, why, how did he know? I don't, I don't know anything about you. <laughs> okay, so what is the Great Commission? Proclaiming the gospel to a broken and lost, bringing them into the community following Jesus, a.k.a. the church. Okay, the last point, how? So how are we expected to fulfill this commission? The, the simple answer to this question is with Jesus. If you're writing notes, with Jesus. So the charge to make disciples may sound daunting, it may sound overwhelming, it may even sound burdensome, but, but the good news here is that we are not on our own and we are not left to our own resources in fulfilling this call. Look back with me to verse 18 and then skip down to verse 20 if, you, if your Bibles are open. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, this is what we read in the start, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the context, right? And then verse 20b says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we started out this morning talking about how the authority of Jesus is implying that this commission is not optional. And, and, and that, is, that is true. I stand by that. But in light of, of the second half of verse 20, this also tells us something else that is so crucial. And that is that Jesus does not give us this charge with a pat on the back and a good luck, buddy, go do it. Jesus is with us. Meaning his authority, that authority we talked about, all authority on heaven and on earth, the authority of the incarnate Son of God, his power is upon us as we walk in obedience to the call that he's given us. John 14, 16 through 17 and 26 is Jesus speaking about the helper he would send the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says to us. He says, and I, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Skip to 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then John 15, 26 and 27 says, But then the Helper, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then John 15, 7 through 15 is Jesus talking again, and I won't read it. But he, he, he says the work of the Spirit is that he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And again says he will guide us into truth and he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify Jesus. Friends, this is great news. We are not left to our own resources, our own power, or our own authority as we seek to make disciples and be obedient to Jesus. Have you ever tried to, to build something with the wrong tools or no tools at all? Um, I, I love my power tools. I won't, I won't even assemble an Ikea bookshelf without a screw gun because um, it's just way too much work. Nobody can be expected to turn that little Allen wrench that, that many times. And why would you? And it's done. The right tools for a job are just absolutely essential. You cannot do a job without the right tools. And if you do, it's going to be really, really difficult, frustrating, and not done as well. I would say this, to fulfill, trying to fulfill the Great Commission or be obedient to Jesus in any way, shape, or form without utter dependence on the Holy Spirit is like trying to build a house without tools. The analogy falls short like all analogies, but... But the Word of God is really our blueprints for what it means to walk with Jesus and what He calls us to. Or if you want to go with Ikea, it's that, that, those instructions that don't have any words. A little bit more complicated. But then the Spirit of God is not only our, our power tools, but the very fuel that fuels our bodies, the electricity that runs to them, it's all of the power that is given to us to actually accomplish what needs to be done. And then, and then the body of Christ, the church around you, that's your whole crew that's doing the job with you. Friends, you are called, you are commissioned, but you are certainly not on your own. Jesus is with you, through the Spirit who is alive within you, and your calling is in the context of this community that you are among this morning. So my charge to you is simple. Abide in Christ. Stand in His grace. And from that grace, walk in obedience to the call you've received to be a disciple making disciples. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. It's a, it's a privilege to be here. And, and I see just the, the health that you have here um, in our midst. I pray for every person here that, that you would 
by your spirit and your grace, call them to just walk in and fulfill the calling to, to be a disciple making disciples. God, I, I pray that you would spark alive even gifts of the spirit that, that perhaps some don't know they have in this place today. I pray that you would use this church mightily to further your kingdom in a way that will last forever, God. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to wrap up now. I have things to share about CGN. What do you, you want me to do it? You sure? Okay. Casey will just look pretty back there as I do it. I'll do it fast. It always feels a little weird because I, I so prefer to, to preach the gospel, but I'm going to tell you, talk to you a little bit about who we are as a network. And this, as, as Trevor said, is a family of churches that you guys have recently joined, and we're so thrilled that you have. And our mission is simple. You know, when we, when we were formulating the mission for this church network, it was important to us that we didn't um, try to get all hip and cool and creative in regards to what the mission is. Because as we looked at this morning, the mission of the, on the church has already been given to us by Jesus. It's called the Great Commission. So all we did is we kind of, um, uh-oh, well, can you go back? I, I know it by heart. I'll just say it to you. Go back to the first one if you don't mind. <laughs> our, our mission is we're a family of churches working together to proclaim the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. And that's truly the, the Great Commission. And so as, as you are, are a part of this network, we're not a denomination. There's no hierarchy. We're just a group of churches, a tribe, as Trevor said, that is working together because we believe that the body of Christ is called to be unified and work together to fulfill the commission that, that, that Jesus himself has given us. And as a network, we're not the ones who are actually doing that great commission work. We see that as the job of the local church. So what we're seeking to do is simply resource and support the local church to do the things that Jesus has called the local church to do. So we do that through um, four initiatives that fulfill our, our three pillars of our mission. And I'll just talk very briefly about what those are. And I'd love to have a conversation if anybody's curious in the end. But um, family and church are working together to make or to proclaim the gospel. So remember Mike Neglia? You guys, you've seen him, right? Um, he's so great such a good preacher. Well, he leads a, an, an initiative for CGN called the Expositors Collective. And the point of that is to come alongside of local churches to raise up the next generation of Bible preachers and gospel proclaimers. And it's really awesome. You can check it out if you want. There's going to be a QR code. You can look at all this stuff on your own. Um, but through podcasts and events and training weekends and things like that. Um, for making disciples, we seek to support the church in making disciples um, through two initiatives. We believe that that the way that disciples are made is when leaders, pastors and leaders of local churches are healthy. Healthy leaders make healthy disciples. And so we've created a couple of initiatives that are seeking to connect and to care for and to train or, or, or coach pastors and leaders within the local churches. And that's through our Connect initiative and through our When She Leads initiative, which is focused specifically on women in leadership. It's, it's amazing. I don't know if any of you, there's a conference every year in um, Marietta, actually, nowadays, uh, where they do an incredible job of just building up women. So any woman who serves in, in the church here, I, I encourage you to check out whensheleads.org. Um, 
And then the final one, and I think this is one of the ones that we're most excited about in Trevor's as well, is, is planting churches. We believe that, that the way God um, expands his ping- kingdom historically and biblically is through churches being started, right? Um, and so we've got Cultivate, which is an initiative that seeks to come alongside, once again, local churches to resource um, them to plant more local churches through an assessment-based um, program that includes a coach and a mentor and a training program that's custom-built out for church planters. And the vision, the prayer vision, you can join us in praying for this, is that Lord, the Lord would use CGN to plant a 1,000 new churches in the next 10 years. It's up to the Lord, but we built the infrastructure to support the churches to do that very thing. So this is the practical nuts and bolts of, of what we're doing. There's a lot more. We have CalvaryChapel.com, which seeks to resource just through articles and different things like that. We have um, a podcast network called CGN Media that's got tons of amazing podcasts. And you can check it all out. But, but most of all, my heart was to share with you guys, you're part of something bigger than yourself. Um, know that we're praying for you as a local church. And, and, and Calvary Global Network, at the end of the day, is 100 about about the local church. And so um, it's a privilege to be here and um, to know that you guys as a local church are a part of of what we're doing. So um, that's it. I'm happy to chat afterwards. God bless you guys. Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.